Hello there, Baha'i Blogcast listeners. It's me, Rain Wilson, your host. Thank you so much to Baha'i Blog for producing and sponsoring our ongoing podcast about all things Baha'i. This is a very special episode that we're dropping this week, dropping being music industry lingo. It is an interview with Dr. Nader Saidi about the Declaration of the Bab, one of the most important holy days in the Baha'i faith. And for those of you who don't know much about the Baha'i faith, the reason that it is important is the entire religious movement started on this fateful evening, May 23rd, 1844, when the Bab, the forerunner to the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, declared his mission as a prophet of God, uh, as a divine messenger, a spiritual teacher, to uh, a young seminarian, student, religious leader in his own right, Mullah Hussein. We'll find out more about that in this interview, although I want to say that this interview is kind of like a graduate level course in the Declaration of the Bab. So if you're just learning about the Baha'i Faith, you might want to seek some more information about this special holy day that's a bit more, I don't know, I hate to say it, remedial, rudimentary, because Dr. Saidi uh, is a specialist in this area. He's one of the world's foremost uh, teachers and scholars of the writings of the Bab, the teachings of the Bab. He wrote the super important, incredible, mind-blowing book called Gate of the Heart. That's about the writings of the Bab, digging into them. As he says in this interview, only 1% of the Bab's writings have been translated into English. Um, so the Bab was a merchant, uh, Sayyid Ali Muhammad from Shiraz, Iran. And in 1844, he proclaimed his message to Mullah Hussein. Um, we're so privileged to be celebrating that this weekend. And it was my sincere honor to be talking to uh, the incredible mind of Dr. Nader Saidi about this extraordinary evening, its specialness and its significance. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks so much. Ladies and gentlemen of Baha'i Blogcast, uh, another special episode. We did a Rizvan talk recently with Tom Price, and now, for the incredible holy day of the Declaration of the Bab, where it all began. Where else should we turn but to the preeminent scholar of the Bab, the writings of the Bab, Babiism, Dr. Nader Saidi from UCLA is here with us, author, humanitarian, wonderful human being, public speaker, translator, researcher. Thank you, uh, Dr. Saidi, for being with us today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is a very wide open topic. Please feel free to speak on wherever your heart moves you. But I thought that it would be really helpful for the Baha'is around the world, for the friends of the Baha'i faith around the world, to hear from your mind, from your heart, from your mouth, what makes the Declaration of the Bab so special. So. Can you take us back to the very beginning? What is, what is it like? What is life like at the time of the Bab in Persia? What is the culture like, the historical landscape of the time? Um, and 
what was the the kind of the spiritually charged feeling in the air during the time of Mullah Hussein in his search for the Bab? Uh, well, the declaration of the Bab takes place at a unique uh, historical time, both in terms of Iran <clears throat> as well as uh, the history of the West. Um, <clears throat> 1844, for example, is uh, the time that Marx begins his major works. Uh, uh, is just one year after Feuerbach has written his major work which in a sense created modern materialistic theory. Namely, he argued that God is created in the image of human beings rather than human beings made in the image of God. Namely, he said that God is something that humans have created. Only humans exist. And uh, it's also the same year that Nietzsche is born. And all these three figures that I mentioned, Marx, Feuerbach, Nietzsche, they all have this particular point in common that they think that the age of religion, the age of a spiritual consciousness orientation and so on is over. And mm -hmm. that uh, the source of various problems that humanity has ultimately goes back to revelation, religion, and, and these ideas. And therefore, uh, liberating human beings from uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, illusion, this delusion uh, in their minds uh, would be key for emancipation of human beings. Uh, in the case of Iran, uh, this is uh, both socially, politically a very unique time and also religiously a very unique time. Uh, the year 1844, is equal to 1260 of the Islamic lunar calendar. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a very important turning point in the history of the Shia Islam. Iranians, majority of Iranians were Shia Muslims at that time, and they continue to be so right now. For the Shia Islam, after Prophet Muhammad, his successors are 12 Imams. And the 12th Imam is a person who is in hiding and would sometime come back to fill the world with justice. And so they are expecting for the coming of this 12th Imam. But the day or the year that the 11th Imam passed away and this 12th Imam, who according to Shia ideas was just a child, he went into occultation, was the year Islamic year of 260, which means that the year 1844 was exactly 1,000 lunar year after the occultation of the 12 Imam that the Shia Islam are waiting for his return and for his appearance. Hmm. And of course, the Quran mentions that each day of God is equivalent uh, to 1,000 years, according to uh, human calendar. And so 1,000 is very important symbolically. And so expectations of the people uh, for the coming of this 12 Imam uh, psychologically meant that 1260, 1844, uh, can be the time 
that this uh, divine intervention would take place and that would cause the whole world to become uh, just. And the problem is that the actual Iran of the time was the essence and the embodiment of the opposite of, of this ideal, namely Iran, which once was uh, one of the most important centers of civilization uh, prior to Islam. And even after Islam, it became key for creation of Islamic sciences and culture. And for about three, four centuries was also a very advanced culture. After 14th century, 15th century, when the West is starting to have uh, modernity and develop, uh, the Iranian culture and politics and religious consciousness goes towards fanaticism and uh, instead of moving towards progress and science and enlightenment, goes towards the exact opposite pattern, pattern of intolerance, despotism of the clerics, uh, of course, political despotism, uh, increasing corruption, and uh, uh, a new definition of Islam, uh, which uh, uh, eliminates any possibility of contact or communication with the rest of the world and, and other cultures. So uh, 19th century Iran is a time that Iranians who always believed that they are um, uh, not only you know, the center of the civilization, which they used to be in, in the distant past, but also because they are a Shia country. So they are, um, they are in accordance with the will of God. Therefore, they are supported by God and they are victorious. And so 19th century is a time that Iran has encountered with the West, with the modernity. Prior to that, it's really unaware what is happening in the West. But the form of this encounter is through war with Russia. And therefore, there are two wars with Russia. And they are, in particular, the second one initiated by the clerics. And the result of these two wars in 1814 and 1828 was completely shocking to Iranians. Namely, instead of winning against the infidels, they were defeated in a very humiliating fashion. Iran lost at least one third of its territory and a humiliating peace treaty was, was signed, which was very difficult. So this uh, uh, middle of 19th century is the time that Iranians for the first time are becoming conscious that there is something wrong. And they see in Iran um, as a, a country which is weak, which is humiliated, which is defeated and controlled by the infidels, in this case, increasingly the Russians and the, and the British. And therefore the idea that this is the time that maybe divine intervention would take place and Iranians would be saved becomes psychologically very powerful. So this is the context of, uh, uh, of 1844. Um, I'll add one other thing, which is okay. very important and crucial. The 19th century is the century that one school of Shiism becomes dominant in Iran. 
It is called Osuli school or principalist school. Uh, this is the school which believes that ordinary uh, Muslims, ordinary Shis cannot think uh, by themselves and for themselves. They are considered to be children and incapable of thinking for themselves. So the idea is that those who can think uh, and those who can know about the will of God are the clerics. And therefore the idea is that all uh, believers have to follow, imitate, emulate uh, a particular high cleric. And so 19th century becomes the time that the masses of the believers of Iranians are integrated into the mosque hierarchy. Because the idea is that um, ordinary Iranians cannot know anything. And so for even details of individual life, they have to ask the clerics. This increased tremendously the political, the economic, the financial, and the social power of the clerics. So 19th century is at the same time a century that Iranians are becoming more and more dependent on the clerics and more and more really becoming further and further from the culture of independent thinking, uh, which is required for them for the modern society. Wow, that is, that's an amazing background and I had never heard it put quite that way. Um, that's a really unique uh, historical slant uh, on the background of this time. So fast forward, we have Mullah Hussein, uh, an Ahmadi, is that what they were known as? Followers of um, Sheikh Ahmad. Uh, his real name is Muhammad Hussein. Uh, okay. So uh, in in Baha'i literature, we know him as Mullah Hussein. His real name is Muhammad Hussein, and there was no, no last name uh, at that time. No Iranian had last name. Last name is a modern idea, and within Iran, <coughs> after 1934, this became the law, and Iranians have last name. In the past. Um, there's only first name and people would be distinguished by their type of occupation or the city that they come from, things like right. that. Right. So Mullah Hossein is from the city of Boshuye in, uh, in the northern province of Khorasan in Iran. Because he's from the city of Boshuye, so he's famous as Boshuyei or Boshuye, namely Mullah Hossein, which is really Muhammad Hossein from the city mm -hmm. of Boshuye. But he was a member of this particular sect of Shiite Islam, yes. the Ahmadis, looking for the advent of the promised one. Can you talk a little bit about uh, his background, where he came from, and what propelled him on this journey to eventually find the Bab in Shiraz? Well, there was, uh, as I mentioned, 19th century was a century of the dominance of this uh, Osuli school, which was really emphasizing tradition and safeguarding tradition and increasing authority of the clerics. It was, it was ultimately traditionalism to become more and more powerful. There was a school of thought in Shiism, uh, which was very important uh, in uh, 19th century, early 19th century to mid 19th century. Uh, this is called the Sheikhi school. It's called Sheikhi school because the founder of this school is famous as Sheikh Ahmad, 
Sheikh ah, Ahmad okay. from the city of Ahsa. He lived, uh, I mean, his, his birthplace was the city of Ahsa um, between Bahrain and Saudi Arabia at the present time. And so um, because he was famous as Sheikh Ahmad, uh, so this school of thought became famous as Sheikhi uh, school of thought. Okay. And uh, uh, after uh, him, uh, his uh, disciple, Sayyid Kazem, who was from the city of Rasht, so Sayyid Kazem Rashti, namely from the city of Rasht, he became the successor. Both of these uh, um, persons were uh, really reformist and intellectual type. So they created a more reformed, more enlightened reinterpretation of Islam and, and, and Shizeh. And their ideas uh, was, uh, to a large extent, the opposite of the traditionalistic worldview. It emphasized more charismatic understanding of authority and, and religion. Sheikh Ahmad, for instance, argued that his source of knowledge is not, um, and his authority is not based upon the fact that he has studied in so many religious uh, seminaries and has all his licenses from varieties of the high clerics. He said that the source of his knowledge is the dream that he had in which the 12 Imam in the dream taught him different things. So the idea was that not tradition, but charisma, the direct encounter with uh, God and representative of, of God and so on became the basis of his knowledge and, and his authority. And of course, he reinterpreted a number of uh, prevalent ideas. And uh, one of these ideas, which is very important, is about this 12 Imam. Because for the generality of the Shia Imams, this 12 Imam is physically in the world. And at that time, he was 1,000 years of old, or maybe even 1,000 plus three, four years uh, more. And the idea that is that uh, even you might pass by this uh, Imam, but you never recognize that he's the Imam. So the idea is that he's alive in the world, but he does not identify uh, himself. And, um, and let me get this straight. Are they, are they saying that to the majority of the Shiites that there is literally a thousand year old guy who has come back and is among us? But I mean, he looks regular. I mean, he doesn't look like he's a thousand years old, but that there is, there is kind of a literal interpretation to that aspect of this scripture? Uh, yes. Of course, the concept of imam does not exist in the Quran. That's why vast majority of the Muslims are Sunni Muslims. They don't believe in any of the imams, neither in the first imam nor the second imam, let alone mm -hmm. the 12 imam. Mm -hmm. They believe that the promised one would come, and that is normally called Mahdi. Uh, the one is uh, guided by God. But they don't think that this Mahdi is a person who has been living uh, for a thousand years and they, they believe that these are all superstitions and they look down at the Shi'is for, for, uh, for, for these uh, superstitions. But for the Shi'i Islam, and Shi'i Islam also has varieties of sects, but the Shi'i Islam, which believes in 12 Imams, Yes, that is right now. It's, it is not just the time of, of the Bab. Right now, uh, the ordinary Shis believe that the Imam is physically alive and present in the world. Right now, he's more than 
12 centuries old. And mm. that, uh, um, that uh, uh, he, he doesn't introduce himself, that he looks like a person who is younger than 40 years of age. But he okay. is in reality uh, 1,200 years or more. And when he, come, when he decides uh, by divine decree that the time is to appear, he would take his sword and God would send all these, uh, uh, all these angels to help him. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would kill everybody in this world unless they convert to Shizeb. So mm -hmm. all these Muslims who are Sunni Muslims, all would be murdered, all of them without exception, and also all the Jews, all the Christians, everybody. Mm -hmm. So, and this is the conception of justice, uh, because the 12 Imam is supposed to bring the reign of justice, and justice means that Shia Islam becomes the dominant. In mm -hmm. the history of Islam, the Shia Islam believe that they are the legitimate uh, sect of Islam, and therefore the imams should be the, the ones who would have control of a state. Mm -hmm. But of course, in reality, the Sunnis were in charge of a state, and Shis were a persecuted minority. Mm -hmm. And it is for that reason, to a large extent, this idea of 12 imams, the way it is fantasized and understood, to a large extent, is this psychological, sociological projection of the need for revenge against particularly the Sunni Muslim majority who have persecuted the, uh, the, the Shi'is. So the whole idea of this 12 Imam is the idea that finally the Shi'i uh, Islam becomes dominant, take over the state. And of course, the whole world also, uh, also become uh, Shi'is. So the, this literal, physical understanding of, of the mm -hmm. Imam, which is a very difficult idea. If you are not a Shia Muslim, you would laugh at it and you, you, would, uh, see, you would be surprised at how anybody can believe in things like that. But that's the dominant, normal, prevalent uh, idea. Uh, now, but returning to Sheikh Ahmad Ahsai, but, it, but if I may interject, yes. it's not that dissimilar from contemporary evangelical Christianity that views the return, the imminent re return of Christ in which only true believers are brought uh, to the holy you know, kingdom of God and, and everyone else suffers and goes to hell and is brutally slaughtered and it's the, and the end time. So both are very literal interpretations of prophecy uh, that are very violent and pretty cut and dry. Like justice means everyone else dies. You know, that's justice. Only the true believers live and everyone else dies. It's a rather simplistic kind of old fashioned primitive view of justice. Cause that's what used to happen in justice in the past. There would be some city that has its God and it would be another city that has a, its God. It would conquer and then it would kill all the believers and destroy all the idols of that God. And then now the new God took over both cities and that was considered justice. Uh, well, I mean, to a large extent, what you say is, is accurate and only uh, fanatical groups who are very literal in terms of understanding of uh, scriptures and prophecies and, and so on, they have a number of common orientations and usually their worldview becomes the millenarian worldview what they expect becomes very violent. 
Um, in the case of the 12 Imam, however, the idea that this Imam um, has been born in very miraculous fashion, which I didn't talk about, very strange, all miraculous things, and that he continues to be physically alive and so on, this yeah. is an added, a much more exaggerated element, but you are right. I mean, any, any religious group who have uh, uh, a literal understanding of religious texts and, uh, and a literal understanding of the time of the deliverance and justice and so on, usually they, they share very, uh, very violent ideas. And they, what was important about uh, the Sheikhi school, the Sheikhi school came up with this unique idea that they made a distinction between the two different types of body. So there ah. is a material body. Mm -hmm. You guys right now are seeing my material body. This, mm -hmm. this hands and face and so on is yes. material it's body. A, it's a beautiful body, doctor. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, there is another body, uh, and that's a sort of a, a, a sort of a spiritual idea. Uh, namely, when you are sleeping and dreaming, in your dreams. Uh, you are going places with your body and uh, touch things and you know you know you experience physical things but the body that in your dreams or in your fantasies is operating is not a material body it is body but it is a spiritual body it's it does not consist of elements and so on so uh, sheikh ahmad and said kazem they argued that the 12 Imam um, exists and continues to exist through uh, his uh, spiritual body, not his, mm. not his material body. But his material body is gone, like everybody else. Sure. And so his continuing to live in the world is through his uh, spiritual body, which means mm -hmm. that this makes it possible to believe that according to this idea, when he wants to reappear, then he would assume a new material body. That means that he would have a new father and mother. He would be born in a place and, and mm. would have a, a young body, not a 1,000 years old body mm. and so on. And this was the key factor which made the students of this particular school of thought much more open-minded about the concept of the 12 Imam. And for that reason, the first converts to the cause of the Bab are all from this Sheikh school of thought. And the, the first premise of that is that it is now possible that somebody that we know that this person has been born recently and mm. in this city and from this father and, and mother to mm -hmm. be uh, embodiment and realization of that spiritual uh, body. And, oh. and so this, uh, this, as you can see, this was a, a unique reform which created the possibility of new ways of thinking for this school of thought. Oh, that's, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, so that it opened up for the possibility of someone like the Bab as the return of the 12th Imam to exist. But you were saying about uh, Mullah Hussein and all of this and, and going on his journey, because I want to I do want to get to the actual declaration here before too long. Well, Mullah Hussein is a very interesting, uh, unique uh, person. 
and we could have our entire interview uh, or many interviews just just about uh, about him um, a few things that we know about him uh, one is that he was a, a, a very uh, deep scholar and also he was great in uh, rhetoric and in mm. giving lectures and in engaging in debates and so whenever very important figures of Shi Islam in Iran uh, who were very powerful opposed the Sheikh school said Kazem who is the leader of the Sheikh school he would send Mullah Hussein who was very young to mm -hmm. go and engage in debate with these people and convince them of the truth of the Sheikhi ideas and that Sheikhism is not a heretical school and, uh, and so on. And so before the declaration of the Bab, uh, he has been in Iran going to two different places, engaging in debates with these really prominent, very, very powerful. One of them is uh, the figure in Isfahan, who was the wealthiest man in the whole Iran, uh, probably after the king. Um, he, he's a high cleric, but incredibly wealthy, and of mm. course, politically powerful and so So uh, the, what is important and interesting is that this young scholar uh, comes and engages in debates and convinces these people. And uh, so when he comes, uh, 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 comes back from his trips, uh, from his missions, uh, at that time he sees that his teacher, Sayyid Kazem, has passed away recently. And therefore, uh, they are looking for the successor of, of this, with the idea that this successor might not be an ordinary man, it might be actually the 12 Imam. So, uh, um, so Mullah Hussein is uh, coming to Iran, and of course, if you come from Karbala, which was the center of this Sheikh school, to Iran, you would come, mm -hmm. if you come through the sea, you would come from the south, and the first main city would be Shiraz. Uh, so uh, they, they have to go through Shiraz. And um, he comes and he stays in Shiraz, and he recognizes the Bab, and becomes the first uh, believer of the uh, of the uh, uh, Babi uh, religion, and um, in terms of propagation of the Babi religion, nobody was as active as effective as this Mullah Hussein. Mullah Hussein, mm -hmm. whenever he went, uh, hundreds and hundreds of the people would convert to the cause of. Of, of the Bob because wow. of his charismatic personality, his loving personality, his eloquence, his, his, his knowledge, his determination, charisma, mm. uh, and so on. So he, he's a very unique individual. However, let me say a few things about this Mullah Hussein, which Please. people might not know much about him. One is the very important fact that the Bob himself has emphasized that in his various writings a number of times in different situations. Uh, and what the Bob has emphasized is that um, Mullah Hussein, when he comes to see the Bob in Shiraz, 
in the first encounter that they have. The Bob says that he didn't have a shoe and he didn't, his uh, shirt didn't have any button. Uh. Um, and also in another place, he says that he didn't have even um, a um, very uh, uh, low level of uh, standard of coins uh, in, in his pocket. Namely, in other words, um, contrary to the ideas that we might have of these people that, you know, they travel and they go to a hotel and, you know, um, they, they have a comfortable life and so on. Um, Mullah Hussein or Qudus or people like that, they were in utmost poverty and they didn't care. I mean, they, they had the true words. And this is very important thing to remember uh, that uh, Baha'u'llah in his hidden words says that uh, 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 we have created you rich. Why you... Uh, uh, Why dost thou abase thyself? Exactly. And this richness is not material richness. It's not to have a lot of um, uh, money or gold or properties and so on. This richness means the spiritual capacities, spiritual perfection and so on. And Mullah Hussein um, is an embodiment of this richness, is this incredible wealth mm -hmm. that he had. But this wealth was in total uh, disregard for material uh, attachment and so on. And he, he knew that the, the time of the uh, day of God is near. And that was something that gave meaning to his life. And so finding uh, the uh, promised one, the beloved, and then devoting his life to realize those uh, spiritual values and uh, spiritual principles in the world, transforming the world so that the world becomes a mirror of the kingdom of God. This was the meaning of life for, for Mullah Hussein. Um, uh, one uh, uh, very interesting thing in the writings of the, of the Bab um, about Mullah Hussein is that he becomes defined as a light. Uh, Noor. This is very important. Um, okay. In uh, uh, Islamic tradition, there is a very important uh, statement in which uh, the first Imam, who is Ali, defines truth in terms of five statements. Um, and the fifth statement defines truth really as light. Um, and um, this light that dawns from the morn of eternity and the traces of that appear on the temples of unity. These are the definitions of, in the book of certitude, Baha'u'llah quotes this, some of mm. these uh, definitions of truth. Mm. The Bob mm. mentioned that these five definitions of truth really are the symbol of the five first years of the revelation of the Bob himself. Namely, the truth of the Bab would manifest itself in a gradual fashion in a stages within these five years. And in the fifth year, it becomes completely explicit, the truth of, of his revelation. Mm. Now, the point is that the Bab, when he is in his various works like the seven proofs, discusses these five years of his revelation, he talks about the 
the the year five, which is the year of of truth, the year of light, and he discusses that when he is writing that the year five has not come yet. So he, he writes as a prophecy for the future uh, that when this light would come, then um, people become perturbed and there would be persecution and uh, and difficulties. Um, um, in his later writings, he shows that the realization of this was Mullah Hussein. Sheikh oh. Tabarsi is martyred. But the question of light that, um, that Mullah Hussein becomes a symbol of that. For the Bab, light is symbol of truth, expression and revelation of truth, but at the same time is symbol of martyrdom and self-sacrifice. He says, look, look at the candle, how it sacrifices itself in order to illumine the others. And so in the year five, this is the time of Badasht. This is the time that the Bab, in the presence of the clerics and, uh, uh, and crown prince formally declares his station. And this is the year that the Bab is sending all these uh, uh, tablets to various um, uh, important Babis and in very clear fashion unveils the truth of his revelation and that this is a new religion and a new age has started and so on. Uh, so this year five is the year of light, namely the, the truth of the, of the Bab and, and Babi religion becomes clear. But mm. becoming clear of this means that a very massive heightened state of persecution would begin in that year. Prior to that, the Muslims thought that the Babi religion is just part of Islam. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a little different, but it is, uh, it, it is part of Islam. And for that reason, there was persecution, but the persecution was not that severe. But when it became clear that this is a new religion, it's abrogation of all the teachings of the past, of all the Islamic laws and so on, and that he's a new prophet of God, a new manifestation of God, and so on. That meant now that the clerics and state become determined to uh, destroy, to, to uproot this, this community. And the first expression of this, of course, is Sheikh Tabarsi and the martyrdom of, of Mullah Hussein. So Mullah Hussein was simultaneously the person who was proclaiming the truth of the new revelation, and he's also the first light that is sacrificing itself in order to illumine the others. Wow, that, that's amazing. That's incredible. My mind is really blown. I'm currently rereading The Dawnbreakers, and um, it really struck me recently in a section that I was reading how much respect the Bab gave to Mullah Hussein. Like when Mullah Hussein would come to town, like he would send everyone else away and he just wanted to meet with him. And the Babis would follow behind Mullah Hussein. Like he had a, a very strong uh, position uh, that I don't think we fully understand. And I know when I was a kid growing up in the Baha'i faith, he was always my favorite because what's not to like about Mullah Hussein? You know, he's got no shoes. He's debating the top clerics in the country, as you said, the, who are incredibly wealthy and he doesn't have any coins in his pocket. 
And um, he's the first to hear the revelation of the Bob. And uh, he's the kind of de facto leader for, for at least five years until he, uh, and he dies gloriously with his sword. I mean, he's, he's the stuff, it's the stuff of legend. So how does this legend then end up in Shiraz uh, in this fateful conversation uh, with the Bob in 1844? Uh, uh, well, he comes to Iran really in order to search for the successor of the Seyyid Kazem, who also can be the promised one. So it, it's very mm -hmm. ambiguous at, at this time. And partly the writings of the Bab in the first three years, namely before that year five, are mm -hmm. also ambiguous because people were not ready. People were thinking that the 12th Imam is, the promised one is the person who is uh, 1,000 years of age at that time. Sure. And that he would come with the sword and so on. So the whole- And I know, I know Bob, you speak about, excuse me for interrupting, you speak about this a great deal in Gate of the Heart in your book about the gradual unfolding of the Bob's message, how it goes through many different phases until finally he's, I am the promised one, but he doesn't lead with that. So I'm just reiterating what you're, what you're saying. Yes, you're right. But that's of course, because the people were not ready. Yes. Otherwise the Bob, although he has spoken in an ambiguous fashion, from the very first day of his revelation, the conversation that he had with Allah Hussein, anybody who was perceptive can easily, immediately understand that he's claiming to be the promised one, the, to, claiming to be a prophet of God. The reason is that most of the writings of the Bab, including his first work, which is a commentary on the Surah of Joseph, is written in the language of divine verses. Divine verses are like the Quran, are the form of language in which God is directly speaking. God mm. is speaking directly as the first person and is talking with majesty and with might and glory addressing the prophet or indirectly addressing the people and tells them what to do and so on. Divine verses according to Quran can only be revealed by God. Even the prophet cannot bring divine verses. The prophet can be only the recipient of divine verses through an angel. And that means that by the very first day of the revelation of the Bab, when he's writing his writings in divine verses, he's very explicitly clearly saying that his station is the station of a prophet who is in constant uh, communion with God. Otherwise, no Imam, according to Islam, can ever bring divine verses. Uh, as I mentioned, even the prophet himself cannot bring divine verses. That's why in Islam, the words of Prophet Muhammad are sacred, but they are not the words of God. It's only the Quran which is the words of God. They mm. are divine verses. What happened in the case of the Bab was that from the very beginning, most of his writings are written in the form of divine verses constantly. Quran was revealed in 23 years, one book of divine verses in 23 years. The Bab always mentions that he reveals the equivalent of the Quran in one week. The point was that the connection of this revelation with God and divine verses is not paused, is, is continuous. So although his early writings uh, 
seem to be ambiguous, uh, if you would be a little bit perceptive, immediately you would know that from the very beginning, his, his claim is not that he's a imam or you know, an important person or um, uh, that he's the truth of the prophets. And mm. that is why his writings take the form of, of, uh, of divine uh, verses. Um, I wanted to say something uh, to connect the significance of this day, declaration of the Bab, and the discussion of Mullah Hussein. Okay. Uh, what I want to uh, mention is that in all religions, there is you know, one person who becomes the first believer. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, in the case of the Babi religion, which really becomes the beginning of Baha'i religion, it's Babi Baha'i religion. Um, uh, we have also Mullah Hussein as the first believer. However, there is a fundamental difference, and that's what distinguishes the role of Mullah Hussein, the meaning of Mullah Hussein, its his theological, historical uh, significance in a way which becomes completely new. And understanding this really gives us um, new conceptions about the significance of this day, of, of declaration of the Bab. Let me explain what I mean by this. If you look at the past religions, the beginning of religion is not a time that the prophet of God comes and, um, and shares the uh, idea or message of God with the people. The beginning of a religion is a time that God has a conversation with his prophet. And usually prophet becomes conscious of his prophetic station. Mm -hmm. uh, Usually the idea is that he becomes the prophet at that time and he becomes conscious that he's a prophet at, at that time. And that becomes the beginning of religion. So for Islam, for example, the typical ideas are that when he receives the first revelations and he doesn't know what it is coming from and he's very, very much afraid and, and so on. Uh, but God tells him that he is a, he has a message and he has to read, um, which Quran becomes the, the reading um, to, to the people and so on. So that's the beginning of Islam. And then, of course, Prophet comes and shares it with people, and it happens that some person becomes the first believer. Mm -hmm. The Bab changed all these things. So, in terms of the writings of the Bab, the beginning of Babi religion is not a matter of conversation between God and the Bab. The beginning of religion, the beginning of Babi religion, is the moment of conversation between Mullah Hussein and the Bab. In other words, mm. religion is defined in a new fashion. Religion is not a dialogue between God and his prophet. Religion becomes a dialogue between God and humanity. Mullah Hussein becomes a symbol of humanity. And the Bab is, of course, conveying the message of God. So today, which becomes the declaration of the Bab, becomes the beginning of Babi religion, not because Bab discovers that he's a prophet. According to his writings, he knew this a long time before that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he mentions in varieties of ways this fact. But that was not the beginning of the Babi religion. 
his prophetic consciousness was not the moment that the Bobby religion started because religion is defined in a new way. Religion is a dialogue between God and humanity. And so contrary to the past, that religion becomes an arbitrary will of God, which is imposed on humanity. And that's why all religions thought that they are the last religion, because then religion and its laws has nothing to do with history or levels of development of humanity. It's just an arbitrary imposition. And so it can be forever. Hmm. The new conception, religion, is a dialogue between God and humanity. Both are participating in construction of religion. And Mullah Hussein, as a symbol of humanity, as a first person who has become ready for the new stage of development, the spiritual development of humanity, mm-hmm. becomes part of this dialogue. And through this dialogue, the new religion emerges. In other words, concept of religion now from the writings of the Bab and through uh, after that writings of Baha'u'llah becomes uh, the idea that religion is a living reality which corresponds its form to the particular stage of development of humanity, the needs of the humanity, the requirements of the, of the, of the, of the age, creating new potentialities. And once humanity goes beyond this stage, new potentialities can become realized, new needs uh, are created, then that same religion of God, which is one and the same and is the same living word of God, takes a new form and appears as a new religion, appears as a new prophet of God. uh, And that means that religion is not a set of arbitrary ideas. It is a it is the will of God on the one hand, the knowledge of, of God on the one hand, and the stage of development and needs of humanity on the other. So it becomes dialogue between God and humanity. And that's why mm. no religion can be the last, the last religion. And mm. that is why religion becomes ultimately in accordance with reason and science. In other words, the form that a religion takes must be in accordance with the needs of humanity with the stage of development of humanity. It would not be something arbitrary. So for example, in when pr- previous prophets came, because people were not ready, none of them outlawed the slavery, none of them. But in the Baha'i religion, for the first time, slavery becomes outlawed. Why? Because humanity has become ready. Otherwise, the truth of all previous religions, the truth of that was opposed to slavery. But because people were not ready, it could not manifest itself as a legal uh, principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. now, the question is, if the prophet Muhammad, or if Jesus, or if Moses, or if uh, Zoroaster, or if uh, Krishna, or any sacred people of the past, they would be present right now, what would they say now? What would be their pronouncements now about question of religious tolerance, about the question of the cessation of women, about the question of slavery and the like? Mm-hmm. When we mm-hmm. think in that way, then we understand that religion, the word of God, is a living thing. It's not a dead, a static thing. It's living and therefore in accordance with the development of humanity, it takes new manifestations, new shapes, new forms. Religion mm. becomes something which is historical, which is dynamic, 
And of course, that means that it is in accordance with the time and creating new potentialities. Mullah Hussein becomes so important for the first time in a way that has never been the case in past theological dispensations and discourse because he becomes a symbol of the new stage of development of humanity. He participates in the creation of religion. It is this conversation, this dialogue of God with humanity, which is the essence and the truth of, of religion. And so Mullah Hussein appears really as the image of God uh, in this participation. And that is why that in this new stage of development of humanity, the religion which begins by the Bab and culminates in very shortly after that in the writings of Baha'u'llah, becomes a religion in which dignity and nobility of human beings are emphasized. And therefore, humans as reflections of God now cannot become commodified. Uh, they, they have rights and they are beautiful and they have to be treated in that way. And that means that the social institutions, international relations, cultural institutions, conception of religion, Everything has to be transformed to correspond to this new definition of human being as noble, as reflection of God, which has become possible at this time. Um, I conclude this particular part with mentioning another concept of the Bab. For the Bab, this day, the day of the declaration of the Bab, is the day of resurrection. Ah, uh, yes. We transformed the traditional concepts and gave new meanings to them. In the past, the day of resurrection was the end of the world. The, the world, the history ends, and then uh, we, we go to either heaven or hell eternally. Uh, for the Bab, because humanity uh, is a spiritual entity and therefore has infinite spiritual perfections and potentialities which gradually manifest itself in time that means that according to the bob heaven and hell uh, are defined in terms of realization or non-realization of spiritual potentialities of humanity so mm. at each stage of development of humanity particular potentialities can be realized we are in heaven if we embrace those values and so those spiritual potentials can be realized. We are in hell if we deprive ourselves of those spiritual perfections and spiritual self-actualization. And that means, uh, uh, for, from the point of view of the Bob, this is a day of resurrection, namely everything that has been in the past uh, has to be redefined. That traditionalism is gone that humanity has lived in a particular fashion. It is as if it is the end of the world. It is the beginning of a new stage. New spiritual potentialities has to be reaffirmed. And later on, for instance, Abdul Baha, um, who was born on this same night, I mean, the same declaration that the 23rd of May of 1844 is the uh, time that Abdul Baha is also born. Right. Abdul Baha talks that humanity so far has lived mostly like an animal on the basis of the laws of a struggle for existence. 
we have mm. been dominated our consciousness by varieties of prejudices, religious, racial, uh, national, all different kinds of prejudices. And for that reason, we have looked at others as strangers or as enemies. And therefore, we have been warring and exploiting and colonizing and murdering and plundering each other. This has been the dominant pattern of, of history of humanity. But for Abdul Baha, we now have arrived at a new stage. And the time of the declaration of the Bab is that turning point. This is the day of resurrection, that a new heaven, a new earth is going to be created. That the past forms of culture is abrogated. And now human beings appear as a spiritual being, not as ah. animal in the, based upon the struggle for existence, but as reflections of love and unity, because that's the attributes of God. We are reflections of divine attributes. This is the whole point of the Bob. If Bob has said one thing, is this is the one, namely that the whole reality, including humans, their truth is reflection of divine attributes. That's why all are one, all are beautiful, all are sacred, all are endowed with rights. Even nature, the Bob says, that is reflection of God and therefore is beautiful and has rights. And so the, uh, the realm of nature also has to have its paradise. And, and humans are responsible to realize this paradise and the realization of the potentialities of, of, of nature. So destruction of nature, this becomes forcing nature to, to be in hell. And this is violation of God because everything is reflection of God. And uh, therefore you can see that how this day, the, this declaration of the Bob becomes symbol of this fundamental transformation of culture, of humanity. A new, a new age is, is a starting. And Mullah Hussein becomes the occasion uh, that uh, in a sense, symbolizing humanity. That's why the Bob always says that all the future spiritual uh, culture and civilization, they are all, in a sense, are reflections of, uh, of Mullah Hussein. Mullah Hussein as being the first um, uh, convert to the cause of the Bob, all other converts, all other believers, in a mm. sense, are created out of Mullah Hussein. Uh, and so in, in a sense, Mullah Hussein becomes the first, as the Bab says, the first fruit of the previous culture, previous religion. So Islam, for example, the Bab says is like a tree that mm -hmm. Muhammad and God planted this tree. And this gradually became larger and larger with leaves and beautiful things and shades and so on. But ultimately it has to give fruits. And the first fruit of the tree of Islam becomes Mullah Hussein. Namely wow. the fruit of each religion becomes uh, the, the new capacity that is created through Islam so that humanity now can uh, can actualize new spiritual potentialities. Mm. So the mm. new spiritual potentialities, which becomes realized through the Bab, these potentialities mm -hmm. can become possible because of the spiritual advancement that Islam created. 
So mm. the fruit of Islam becomes the Babi, Babi religion and Baha'i religion, but Mullah Hussein in this particular case becomes the first fruit of the tree of Islam. Wow. And so you can see how interesting is the symbolic character of Mullah Hussein of this night and the, and the significance of it. That's, uh, that's utterly mind-blowing. Um, it, it's incredible. I've never heard these perspectives being offered before on this declaration of the Bab. So talk about the conversation that evening uh, between Mullah Hussein and the commentary on the Surya of Joseph. What is the significance of that specific conversation? Uh, well, at first, uh, during this uh, conversation, uh, specific issues uh, are, are, are being uh, discussed and in terms of the possibility that the Bab would be the promised one, which is a shocking idea to, to Mullah Hussein, particularly, you know, because he was this great scholar and the Bab was from, belonged to the category of merchants. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so um, and in particular, at that time in Iran, you know, the people of knowledge, intellectuals, the scholars, these are religious scholars, these are the clerics. And of course, the people of Bazaar, the commercial people and so on, are, are the people of material attachments and business, and they have no spiritual understanding and so on. So um, uh, partly because of that, that immediate uh, perception, Mullah mm -hmm. is is a bit uh, defensive and shocked. And there are different uh, um, reports of, uh, of the way that Mullah Hussein became um, converted to the cause of the, of the Bab. Some of the people who have written about this have talked as if Mullah Hussein was not really convinced and it took him a number of days. Some have said three days, some have said five days. One source writes 40 days. It took him so that finally he becomes convinced that the Bob is the promised one. All of these are incorrect. All of these are incorrect because the Bob himself has explained to us what has happened. Oh, wow. And the best uh, source of history about the Bobby uh, religion and Bob and so on is the writings of the Bob himself. But unfortunately, <laughs> the world is not familiar with the writings of the Bob. And so we cannot uh, judge a lot of these historical uh, disputes and controversies and so on in terms of, in terms of these uh, writings. Yeah, and, and speaking of those writings, and just for the listening audience, how much did the Bab write and what percentage has been translated into English? So we have a clarity around that. Well, he has written in an, an incredible amount of writings. Uh, if you put his writings actually the writings which exist that we have it. together, it would be about 100 books. Books mm. which would be between 200 pages to 300 pages. And this was only six years, you know. His mission was very brief. Uh, he was a very young man. At this time of declaration, he's 24 or 25 years of age, depending on how you look at the calendar. Um, and six years after that, of course, he was killed by the order of the clerics and and a state. So he was incredibly young and his uh, ministry was very short. And despite that, 
the amount of revelation that he has is just incredible. And uh, um, most of his writings are not published um, in, in original uh, as well. Uh, in terms of English, uh, less than 1% of his writings are, are translated. So Less than 1%? Less wow. than 1%, yes. And uh, this 1% that we have also on, is not really very representative of the writings of the Bab. Mm. Um, and, uh, um, and I'm sure that in a few years we would have uh, a, a much more uh, um, representative uh, works of, of the Bab translated in English. Um, and uh, then we would have a very different uh, understanding uh, of the Bob, complexity of the Bob, and the uh, and the sophisticated nature of of his deep writings um, uh, at that time. Uh, but okay. I wanted to come back to the discussions that we had, and the question was uh, when Mullah Hussein was convinced and became yes. a, a, a a devoted follower of the Bob. Um, so the account that is given in Don Breakers about this happens to be the most accurate one. Okay. Uh, I say that because it accords with what the Bob himself has said. Mm -hmm. The Bob frequently mentions, both with regard to the Mullah Hussein, and also mentions the same thing about uh, the second believer, Mullah Ali Bastami. He says that these people were so pure-hearted that the moment that they heard divine verses, the moment they heard divine verses, yeah. they absolutely were confirmed and recognized the, his, his station. And this, this means that revelation of this particular work, commentary on the Surah of Joseph, that became the occasion for, uh, for the certitude of Mullah Hussein, that uh, hearing the revelation of these divine verses and so on, and the power uh, and the poetic beauty, mesmerizing character of this uh, uh, commentary on the Surah of, of, of Joseph, revealed in the majesty of the language of the divine verses and so on, immediately captured him. And so there was no delay of three days or five days or 40 days, all, all of these mm -hmm. are, uh, are incorrect. But again, the key was not those discussions um, before uh, revelation of the Surah of Joseph, uh, commented on the Surah of Joseph. It was watching and hearing these words, words uh, of God, divine verses. Uh, was crucial. Now, the, um, this particular work of the Bob, the commentary on the Surah of, of Joseph, um, is uh, probably after the Persian Bayan, is the most important work of the Bob. Of course, wow. all the works are important, but in terms of historical significance and so on, there, there are differences. Um, I wish I had time to discuss this uh, commentary <laughs> on, the, on the Surah of Joseph. I don't, but um, it's a story in which Christianity and Judaism and Islam become united. 
the story of Joseph is one of the few things that binds these three traditions together. It is present in Torah and it is reaffirmed in the Quran. One of the chapters of the Quran is the story of Joseph. And the, the Bible is now interpreting the Surah of Joseph. But Surah of Joseph, as being part of the Quran, of course, is in the form of divine verses. But the interpretation of that is also made in the divine verses. Mm. Namely, mm. God is revealing through Quran the story of Joseph, and now God through divine verses, because divine verses is the word of God. God is interpreting his own words. <laughs> and what we see is this incredible mystical consciousness that is present here. Namely, it becomes the absolute realm of unity when there is no otherness, when there is no differentiation. It's the utter pure revelation of God. And the whole discussion of the commentary on the Surah of Joseph is affirmation of this fact that the ultimate truth of all reality, that the ultimate truth of all religions, the ultimate truth of all prophets of God is one and the same. That is the utter pure revelation of God, which is the mm. absolute realm of unity. And he wants to create a culture that people of different faith traditions, people of different ethnic groups, of different national groups and so on, they won't look at what divides them, but separates them, but they should look at their own truth, the truth of their own religion, the truth of themselves. And that truth, ultimate truth of everything and everyone and all religions and all prophets is this utter pure revelation of God, which is the realm of absolute unity, where there is no differentiation, when there is no conflict, where there is no plurality. And so for, for that, he wanted to create a new concept of uh, of identity, def definition of life, and so on. If you look at the uh, the story of Joseph, the, the, the way the Bob discusses that, for instance, the Bob um, in the very first page calls himself Zekr. Zekr is remembrance, means remembrance. Zekr of God or remembrance of God, which, which is the title okay. of the Bob. But why he is calling himself Zekr? This remembrance, because in the Surah of Joseph, in the Quran, the Surah of Joseph is defined as Zekr of God, as remembrance of God. Mm. If you read the story of Joseph, that this uh, work of the Bible is interpreting that, it gives the story of Joseph after the story is finished, the Quran says that this, namely this story that we have discussed, uh, is nothing but the zekr of God, uh, but the remembrance of God for the whole world. And therefore, Bob choosing to call himself zekr, remembrance, means that he's saying that he is the surah of Joseph. He is the word mm. of God, which takes place in the, in the form of the Quran. Previously, it came as Quran. Like the truth of Jesus, that was the word, the word which mm -hmm. was God, the word which was with God. Quran becomes the word of God. The Surah of Joseph becomes the word of God because, and it is the zekr, the remembrance. Also remembrance means utterance. Zekr means both remembrance and word. Okay. But we translate it as remembrance normally. 
but the word zikr means both word or utterance and also remembrance. So the Bab is defining himself as the Quran, he's zikr, therefore he's the Surah of Joseph. So he's interpreting the Surah of Joseph, he's interpreting himself. The one who is interpreting is the same as the text which is being interpreted. And it is the same as the meaning of this text because the Joseph in the commentary that the Bob makes becomes a symbol of divine beauty and becomes mm. a symbol of the truth of all reality, of all prophets of God. So this mm. Joseph appears first in the interpretation of the Bob, first as, of course, Joseph. Mm -hmm. And then in, in the age of Islam, the same Joseph becomes Imam Hussein. And then, according to the Bab, the truth of this Joseph, which is the truth of this Imam Hussein, could not realize itself explicitly in the age of Islam because people were not ready. Therefore, this Joseph, this Imam, is hidden in the well from the world because his truth could not be understood. Mm, and this mm. remains in the well. Hidden in the well, paralleling Joseph hiding in the well. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that has also another. Uh, and then um, the, uh, the next stage is that this Joseph is taken by the caravan from the well and is taken to Egypt. Now, in Bob's commentary, this Egypt becomes the city of Shiraz. Mm. And therefore, now that same Joseph, which was once the Joseph, then it becomes the truth of Islam in the form of Hussein, Imam Hussein, now appears as the Bab. The Bab is Joseph, the Bab is Hussein, the Bab is the truth of all of this. And he is going to reappear later on as another Hussein, which is the name of Baha'u'llah. And so the, the whole point is absolute unity. The text, the author of the text, the interpreter of the text, the meaning and interpretation of the text, they all become one and the same. Um, and I don't have time to discuss this mystical point a little bit more, but it is absolutely amazing. I mean, in addition to different statements that he makes about interpretation of of, of the story of Joseph, it is the logic of this interpretation. And it is absolute logic of, of, of mystical unity. And that was mm -hmm. the point of the bomb. And this moment of declaration is really declaring to the whole world that the truth of everything is God, uh, that everything is spiritual, that everything is beautiful, and the time has come for humanity to become conscious of its truth, of its spiritual reality, and not to debase itself as just an accident, uh, uh, a selfish accident in, in material nature. Wow. So maybe next year we'll have another one of these conversations around the declaration of the Bob, and, um, or maybe we'll have it during the martyrdom of the Bob, conversation where we can hear a little bit more about the Surya of Joseph. It sounds like you've got a lot more to share there. But to to wrap this conversation up, and I, I wish we could go on for another hour, but 
we're already straining the ears of the podcast listeners at this point. Uh, and maybe we can get to it in, at a future point. Why should we care? In 2020, currently we're in a pandemic and quarantine. This conversation happened in 1844. It's a conversation with a, an intellectual religious scholar, um, the head of the Sheikhi movement at the time, and this merchant in Shiraz. You've talked about some of the implications of this conversation. The fact that God is everywhere. We are all spiritual. Mankind has been redefined from a material being to a spiritual one. Nature has been defined as God inherent, therefore spiritual and divine and holy in its own way. Uh, and many other facets, reverberations, ramifications to this conversation. But why do we care now in the modern world that this conversation happened? What are its implications for today? Um, well, um, in general, I say something very briefly in general and something uh, more specifically about the pandemics, uh, relevance to the pandemic situation that we have. The world in which we live, I believe, is really now an schizophrenic world. I mean, the highest culture, highest philosophical, uh, the most progressive ideas that we have represent uh, this schizophrenic consciousness. And the reason is that, you know, we went beyond the pre-modern world. Pre-modern world was a, a world in which all forms of prejudice, oppression, inequality were legitimized as natural. So women have to be suppressed because their body is inferior. Uh, various uh, groups uh, and colors of skin have to be uh, enslaved and repressed because of particular biological deficiency. And uh, some people had to become uh, tyrants uh, over all humanity because they were born of particular sacred blood, you know, the royal blood. Um, in any case, uh, this was the way that we thought before um, in, in, in the form of varieties of forms of prejudices uh, that justified forms of oppression and, uh, and inequality. But then in the modern world, after the philosophy of the enlightenment, we rejected God and replaced in the place of God reason. And the idea was that we can create a new world, a modern world of justice, of equality, of democracy, uh, in which morality would be dominant and regulate life, but on the basis of reason. So revelation, God, religion are all banished. Mm. And the idea is that from reason, we can deduce everything that we need. Mm. And uh, that is an exciting time, you know, 18th century philosophy, for instance, the view says democracy and some varieties of forms of freedom from the concept of, of, of reason. But then we came to, um, and as I mentioned in the beginning of this discussion, that 1844 was a strange time for Bach, Marx, Nietzsche, and so on, which becomes a culmination of, of, of rejection of God, in a sense. But then we come to 20th century and now 21st century. We are now in a postmodern world. What is the characteristics of the postmodern world? In the postmodern world, we rejected reason. 
and we came up with this idea that because there is no God, therefore there is no truth and there is no value. There is no universal value and there is no universal morality. And mm. so identity of humans in the postmodern world is reduced to their social group, to their biology. What is your ethnicity? What is your gender? What is your language? What is your national group? This becomes identity of the people. When right now people, the more intellectual you are, the more you think in those ways that you reduce identity of the people to these categories. And because there is no universal value and there is no universal truth and reason is completely banished and bankrupt in the postmodern world. Therefore, the only basis of truth and value becomes your own culture, your own tradition. And so we went to this cultural relativism. That's why you cannot now in this postmodern world criticize other cultures. You cannot criticize patriarchy in, for instance, Saudi Arabia you cannot, or in Afghanistan. You cannot do that because that means that you are affirming a universal value system. And therefore, because of the rejection of this concept of truth or value as a universal fashion, the only criteria of, of uh, truth or value becomes our tradition and culture. And so we are reduced to our traditions. And in a sense, the pre-modern worldview that justified everything in terms of status quo of traditions and culture in a sense has re-emerged. But at the same time that we think that outside of culture of a group, there is no basis of morality or truth. At the same time, we are believing in some universal values. We are all anti-racist. We are all anti-colonialism. We are all anti-destruction of environment and so on. We are all um, uh, against debasement of human beings and the like. But at the same time, we as postmodern people, we think that there is no universal value. And this is what I said, the schizophrenic consciousness. Because we rejected God and his spiritual values, at first we thought that therefore we have reason and we can deduce all values from that. But mm. without God, without this spiritual definition of reality, this reason becomes something arbitrary ultimately becomes a strategy of self-interest and maximization of self-interest. And therefore, there is no really binding basis for values and ideas. People can have different ideas. So, so racism is one culture and anti-racism is another culture. Both are equally correct. Mm. But at the same time, we reject, of course, racism because we are postmodern, but we really are not postmodern. We are also modern. Mm. We have these beliefs in some fundamental values. Declaration of the Baal, emergence of Baha'i faith, is really the resolution of this um, impasse that humanity has and the hypocrisy of the humanity at this time. Namely, for, uh, for the Baal, for, for Baha'u'llah, all reality are reflections of God. And for that reason, all are beautiful and sacred and all are endowed with rights. But this means not return to fanaticism of traditionalist religions, accepting slavery, patriarchy, mm -hmm. uh, um, religious intolerance, bigotry, violence, and so on. 
On the contrary, the idea is that now all beings are reflections of divine, and therefore all beings should be treated as sacred and, and, and equal. But at the same time, this creates an objective basis for loving humanity and for trying to be, um, to, to be helpful uh, in our relation to God. Um, I've, in our, uh, our relation to humanity in terms of its, its truth, which is, which is God. Mm -hmm. And um, so such a spiritual consciousness can bring the true modernity. But it is a modernity which is not confined to a particular nation or a particular race or a particular gender or language and so on. It's a modernity which affirms the unity of the entire human race. And the mm. new definition of human being becomes one who dedicates himself or herself to the service of the entire human race. And honor is reinterpreted in this new special definition of reality. Honors is defined in, in, in the uh, universality of your love. When you love everything and everyone, not just loving your own self, your own family, your own city, your own country, mm -hmm. but you love mm -hmm. the entire human race. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. willingness of sacrifice yourself for the entire human race. It is opposite of honor as it was defined in the past. Honor in the past was that you go and kill the other country, plunder their other country because you love your own country. Mm -hmm. you, you are willing to sacrifice yourself to be killed in war for the sake of your society. But loving society is at the same time killing and exploiting and colonizing other parts of the world. So mm -hmm. the message of the Bob, which then is taken into a higher form of development in the revelation of Baha'u'llah, is bringing a new culture which makes it possible that we would have principles of human rights, democracy, uh, equal rights, and, and so on, but at the same time, not just as an arbitrary uh, 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 lies or, or uh, arbitrary choices that is mm. equal to any other, other choices uh, and so on. And in terms of the present situation that we find ourselves, I think this spiritual consciousness can also help us. We went from a time of having this total arrogance that we had. We were masters of nature and extremely selfish. Have come to this stage of despair and hopelessness and fear. A lot of people are just paralyzed by this fear that they are going to die. And the, the idea is that this virus is going to kill half of humanity or, 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 or themselves and so on. So we have come from that sense of haughtiness and arrogance to this exact opposite. Both of them are rejections of a spiritual consciousness. When you have a spiritual mm -hmm. consciousness, when God is present within you and you are aware of the presence of God and that you are not alone, at the same time, you are not that arrogant because it is presence of God. And therefore you are always conscious of your servitude, of your lowliness. But at the same time, presence of God with you and the fact that your image of God, your reflections of divine attributes means hope, means empowerment, 
and the like. And so the way that we have to deal with this situation that we have also when you have a spiritual consciousness becomes consultation. Consultation and extending this process of consultation in order to see what we should do. Hmm. Um, the world is realizing in one sense that it is one because this virus is, has no border and, and so this consciousness of unity has been created to some extent. But at the same time, our response to this has become so politicized. And in different places, including the United States, the whole question has become another excuse in order to demonize the other party and to exclude others from decision making and turn that into another way of separating each other and making each other alienated from each other. The opposite of this is the logic imperative of consultation, which requires universal loving which requires humility, and therefore extend and incorporate the, the circle of consultation in order to figure out what is the best way of moving forward. That requires a loving orientation to all humanity, not a loving orientation to only to your own party, whether it is Democrat or it is conservative or, or other parties and so on. And the, uh, the fact that uh, in the name of democracy, we constantly demonize each other, we constantly try to suppress the other, mm. is another expression of the law of struggle for existence. Mm. And so a beautiful idea like democracy is a spiritual idea, it's affirmation of equality of all human beings, it becomes tainted mm. with this logic of the old order. The emergence of a new order, a spiritual order, which is based upon unity and nobility of all human beings requires that we talk to each other, that we communicate with each other, that we love each other. And we make our minds after discussions rather than we make our minds in imitation of what the party would say. And then the only purpose of discussion is to humiliate others and prove that they are wrong and, and stupid. Um, mm -hmm. So consultation, we need to replace democracies as they exist with consultation and consultative logic. And that mm -hmm. requires a spiritual orientation. And so for me, this declaration of, of the above, as I mentioned, it's the day of resurrection. The day of God has happened. And the day of God means absolute reunion and rejoice because God has come to us and we have come to God and therefore we have come to our own truth. So it's a time of happiness and joy rather than total despair and hopelessness. Wow, that is incredibly profound and inspiring. And I loved what you said at the very, very end it really illuminates for me this idea of the day of resurrection. We think of day of resurrection and the day of judgment, um, but you think resurrecting is also means something that was dead being brought to life. And um, that's what the declaration of the Bob really was, was the bringing to life of humanity. True in front of God. It is for me always incredible 
that people talk of the day of resurrection, but it's only the day of fear that they, were, they may be sent to hell. But the way the Bob has understood the day of resurrection, the day of resurrection is the day that you come face to face with God, attain the presence of God. And from the point of view of the Bob, if you attain the presence of God, what else you want? Coming <laughs> to hell for eternity is nothing because the ultimate paradise, ultimate fulfillment is attaining the presence of God. And that is why this day of resurrection becomes a day of joy and rejoice and energy and happiness rather than fear and trembling and, and, and so on. And so we have to remember even in our literal understanding of the day of resurrection that we come in presence of God, the truth and real meaning of the whole existence. And therefore this, this concept has to become a mystical concept of transformation rather than another concept of fear of fire and, and the love of some material pleasures in, mm. in, in heaven. It becomes mm. transformed into reunion with the beloved. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank giving you so us your, giving your wisdom. What an incredible uh, conversation. And uh, I just can't thank you enough. And I hope you'll come back on the Baha'i Blogcast and we can talk about other aspects of the Bob, the Surrey of Joseph. Maybe we do one um, on the martyrdom of the Bob. There's many opportunities for us to continue this conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Baha'i Blogcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the conversation. Check out more fun Baha'i stuff on Baha'iblog.net. Thank you so much, and good night.